1: Think that people aren't clear what they mean, to be honest, by the meaning, and the meaning of meaning is something that I think philosophers get very ob- obsessed about. I think a lot of people assume it's got a it's something like purpose, it's purpose, so the meaning of life is what it's all heading towards, a kind of a goal. But I think that's kind of not difficult to see why that's deeply problematic, actually, as a notion of meaning, because of course, the problem with goal-oriented versions of meaning is what happens when you get to the goal end of story right um you know you finish a book you start a new one whatever it might be uh there's also the question of significance does my life have a significance for more than just me now obviously it does most people's their lives will have some significance to their to their family to their community but again people think well is is that all it is because my family will die my community will die does it have significance in any more lasting, enduring sense? And again, that's a difficult one to go down because it's not really clear. Uh, or, well, first of all, I think it's very unlikely that it does. Um, but again, isn't it a bit megalomaniac almost to assume that our life should have that kind of significance, that it's not enough that I have this life. My life has got to matter for other people in, in beyond time and space. So I think, you know, both this idea of purpose and significance as candidates for meaning look a bit kind of dodgy. And I think really the most useful word to replace meaning with is value. What is the value of life? Okay, so that really captures some of the sense of purpose and significance in a way, because it means, you know, what's the point of getting up in the morning? What's the point of going on with it all? And I think that when you start to think about what the value of life is, you can then begin to see... That the value of life is contained within life. You don't have to look beyond it to find that value. And, you know, there are some very glib ways of of putting this, but really, you know, if you're ever in a situation where you are, for example, just in nature, in the countryside, and seeing a beautiful sunset, whatever it might be, at moments like that, you kind of know that life has value, you know it's worth being alive. And you don't need to ask questions. So that kind of sense of value tends to be diminished, I think, when you know, life becomes difficult or perhaps even intolerable. I think that a lot of us find value in certain creative endeavours. Also, we have find value in endeavours that help other people. And it's not because we think that by helping other people, we're going to help other people to live forever. We're just helping their lives to be better. And there's a value to that. There's often a value to sort of certain work. And it's not necessarily about pleasure as such. I think a lot of people, a lot of creative people, uh, find their lives extremely meaningful. But for a lot of people, that creative endeavour is is very difficult. It's a struggle sometimes. Sometimes it's a takes a toll even on what we tend to call these days our, our mental health or perhaps more generally our well-being so I think to call it pleasure is a little bit misleading because it makes it sound like the things we find value in are always pleasant and sometimes they're not and you know the Japanese sensibility Uh, I'm not saying this is an essentialist thing, all Japanese have this innately as it were, but it's very deep in the culture of that kind of awareness that, that the beauty and wonder and delight of life is tied in with the things which are bitter about it. The cherry blossom season is the major public holiday. And the point of the cherry blossom is that it lasts a very little time indeed. And so you picnic under it and it's wonderful. But the whole point is, as you are appreciating it, you're also a little bit sad that it will pass. So I think you know, part of the problem with the sort of utilitarian hedonic view, which has become very dominant in, in Western culture, is that it does sort of have this idea of pleasure, which I think is too simplistic. Uh, it, it, it's more bittersweet than that. Aristotle thought that, you know, the goal was, was human flourishing. And he very much thought that meant, you know, to, 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 cultivate and to make the most of those capacities which are distinctly human um, so you know it, there are things we share with plants and animals but if we live a life which is purely about those things about growth and, and reproduction and and feeding then we're not really living a flourishing life for a human being and I think there's something to that I think the problem he had was that being a philosopher, he did the typical thing that philosophers do, which is that they, he put too much emphasis on the aspect of being human, which he was particularly attuned to, this, this rational side. Whereas I think that uh, there, there's, there's meaning and value to be found in all sorts of things which are dis- distinctly human. And these are things which don't necessarily involve that kind of introspection and self-awareness of it. You know, I think that when people approach this from a philosophical point of view their temperaments often sort of tell them that surely leading a good life must require that kind of you know self-awareness thoughtfulness introspection the kind of thing we do as philosophers but you know i've come across lots of people in my life who i think have hugely flourishing lives who who aren't like that but they are in other ways cultivating aspects of their humanity which i'm not so for example there are some people who are extremely sort of compassionate and altruistic and devote their lives to helping others and they do that partly because then they get something out of that i'm not saying that makes it selfish that's that's a bad argument but that is what they find ultimately rewarding so they they don't get a kick out of it necessarily it's not pleasurable but that's where they find their reward and that's a very very human thing as well because you know animals basically tend to be altruistic towards their own and their family there are occasional examples of going beyond that but in the way the human beings have this capacity to be altruistic to anything anything even sentient is is unique and again there are people perhaps who have uh, you know artistic craft kind of pursuits Um people are into things like, you know, fishing or, or sailing and a lot of these people don't ever stand back and sort of ask themselves a question, what is life all about? But they kind of have a gift almost for, for making the most of it. So I I do think that that the broad idea that it's trying to sort of tap into some of those things which make us uniquely human, give us that real opportunity, the opportunity that this consciousness and this short life gives us. I think that is true, but it needn't be in the way that philosophers would do it, very self-consciously, very self-reflectively. So
0: I feel the wish that it was easier for people in Western societies to to feel that their lives are meaningful because they're connected to a larger, um, meaningful purpose of... Maybe, you know, their community or nation or civilization or something. Um, but that's not how our societies have become ordered. They're, you know, procedurally free places where each person decides for themselves. And, you know, as a philosopher, I, I, I'm curious how you th- think about that. If you think that it's a trade-off worth having.
1: The individual aspect of it is to do with it ultimately being your individual choice. But that doesn't mean the choice it has to be an individualistic choice. And in fact, the opposite is often the case. A lot of the people today are finding meaning, value and purpose precisely in collective endeavor. Uh, people who are, you know, on people who go on Black Lives Matters marches, people who are in Extinction Rebellion, uh, protesting about the environment, uh, people who are standing up for people who have been victims of of abuse and trauma people campaigning against the war and and so on i mean so many of these things are deeply collective and you know, but they—they people make the choice to join those things as individuals. So, you know, the individualistic starting point doesn't necessarily lead you to an individualistic end point. And I think for a lot of people, one reason precisely why they find these things of value is the sense of connection it gives them with something greater than themselves. Now, and I have no problem with that at all, except that I've, you know, many people claim that this feeling of, collection with something greater than yourselves is somehow a kind of a necessary condition for <laughs> for meaning. And I'm not sure of that. I think in, 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 in some sense, I think that's true. So, for example, let's say I go for my solitary walk and I'm just wondering at the beauty of the mountains. Um, there's a sense of something greater than myself, other than myself, which is the natural environment. But um, it's not that I think that... <laughs> there is something above and beyond me which i don't know has some kind of transcendental value and i think what 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 i sort of struggle to try and understand intellectually is that the idea that some that meaning has to be found in something greater than ourselves i think is can be tied in with this hankering for the transcendental the idea there must be something more great and other Whereas I think that meaning is often found in in not the transcendent, but the, the imminent, the here and now, the real. And, and, and that is something which is deep, rich, complex. It is not just ourselves, for sure. But it's not something which, you know, we, we have to imagine there's something other and beyond. So I think you can square that circle. You know, there can be a sense of things greater than ourselves which are not other and beyond. But my concern is that perhaps that's perhaps on an unconscious level what people are hankering for, that something greater than themselves is something which can take them beyond this mortal, finite existence, whereas actually you can never properly get beyond that. Um, You can find things which are greater than ourselves within this finite, (laughs) mortal existence, But no more. What really fascinated me straight away about Kierkegaard was I thought, and whether or not he thought this, I don't know. This is what I took from him, that he really got this idea that the human condition is in a sense paradoxical because we are in one sense only ever in the moment. The now is the only reality there really is. And so hence you get these books like The Power of Now and all that kind of thing. But on the other hand, it's evidently the case that we do transcend the moment. We do have a future and a past. And we have memory and so forth. And so we're in this kind of paradoxical situation whereby, on the one hand, we're totally trapped in the present. On the other hand, we do transcend the present in some way. And to sort of have a any kind of makes to make sense of this, to make sense of what we are, uh, but also to make sense of how we ought to live, we we need ways to, to combine these. So that's where the balance needs to be. So on the one hand, yes, you need to find the meaning in the now and the here and so forth. But that doesn't mean that you can't look to the future. And some of the most meaningful things that we do are projects. Uh, they're projects which have a future. They have an indefinite future. I mean, the key then is to not fall into the trap of thinking the purpose and value of this is all to be found in its completion, a lot of the value and meaning is in the process right so if you're struggling so for example you you see situations where people are struggling for somebody's rights or some kind of social change and sometimes these struggles fail and in that sense that sadness is tragic I don't think it's ever the case that's completely wasted because there is something valuable in, in the fight itself. And people feel that, you know, um, th- that it's better to have fought and lost than not to have fought at all. Better to have fought and won, <laughs> but better to have fought and lost than not to have fought at all. So I think I think it's a question of always trying to sort of see what it is in the present and the now that could be giving us the meaning, the value. But it doesn't mean... We don't look to the future, too. You know, we don't have any sense of our temporality.
0: Making Meaning is a limited series from Ministry of Ideas. It is produced by me, Zachary Davis, and Jack Pombriant. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support us by sharing the show with your friends, subscribing, and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. For more information, visit our website at ministryofideas.org. You can connect with us on Twitter, where we're at Ministry of Ideas. You can also email us at Zachary at MinistryofIdeas.org. We would love to hear from you. Ministry of Ideas is a proud member of Hub & Spoke, a Boston-centric collective of smart, idea-driven podcasts. You can check out all of our shows at HubSpokeAudio.org.